October of 1863 was a bleak month in America. The nation was at war with itself. Just three months prior, the bloodiest battle in American history had taken place in Gettysburg, and now Confederate troops were laying siege to the town of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And yet, despite the death and destruction taking place on American soil, President Abraham Lincoln decided to call for a national day, not of prayer, nor of fasting, nor of mourning, but a national day of thanksgiving. On October 3rd, 1863, he published a proclamation which began with these words, the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. And no doubt those words sounded strange to many ears. Why this note of cheery optimism during the chaos of a civil war? Who cares about fruitful fields and healthful skies when fathers and sons are dying in battle? To his credit, Lincoln acknowledged the war in his proclamation. In fact, he refers to it as a war of unequaled magnitude and severity. And he, he notes the enormous cost of both economic resources and human life that are being taken by this war. Nevertheless, despite it all, he insists that America has continued to experience many blessings. Other nations have maintained their peace with the United States. Agriculture and industry have continued to flourish and produce. And the population has increased despite, he says, the casualties of war. And none of these good things have been earned or merited by the United States. They are, as Lincoln puts it, the effects of the watchful providence of God. No human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who, while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. And so it's only right, he concludes, that America set aside a day to acknowledge these gifts and to respond with public thanksgiving and praise. Speaking for myself, I have to say that I find Lincoln's proclamation to be not only an incredibly profound example of political leadership, but also a wonderfully concise summary of something that's at the very heart of Christian faith and experience. For what does it mean to be a Christian if not to be someone whose life is defined by the unearned gifts of God? And what should characterize our lives as Christians, if not a continual response of gratitude and thanksgiving? Christianity is at heart a religion of grace. And for that reason, the Christian life should be defined first and foremost by gratitude. Grace and gratitude are inseparable. To quote the German theologian Karl Barth, Grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice and echo. Gratitude follows grace like thunder lightning. 
This is a pattern that you can see all throughout the Bible. God gives women like Sarah and Hannah, children in their old age and infertility. And how do they respond? By giving thanks. God rescues the people of Israel from the, from the clutches of Pharaoh's army. And what do they do? They sing a song of praise and thanksgiving. The Psalms, the, the, the prayer book of ancient Israel, are filled with expressions of gratitude and exhortations to give thanks to God. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, proclaims Psalm 111. Psalm 100 begins by telling us to make a joyful noise and to remember, to remember the gifts of God, that he has given us life, that he has made us his people. And then it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Similarly, in Psalm 30, we read, You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And this, this theme of God's grace and our gratitude, it's a theme that pervades the New Testament as well. Jesus teaches his followers not to worry about the basic needs of their life and instead to recognize that everything they enjoy and need, it already comes from the gracious hand of God. In, in his last meal with his disciples before he dies, he uses bread and wine to teach them that when he dies, it's not just a, a tragic injustice, but it will be a gift given for their redemption. This is my body, he says, given for you. And if somehow you're still not convinced that this theme of, of grace, of unearned and unmerited gifts, that this isn't at the very heart of Christian faith, all you have to do is read the letters of the Apostle Paul because it's something that he talks about incessantly. He gives thanks all the time. He gives thanks for the existence of Christians in cities like Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, and Thessalonica. He reminds the Ephesians that they were once alienated from God. They were estranged, and now they have become part of the people of God. And that the only reason why this is the case is because of God's sheer unmerited grace. Even your own faith, he tells them, is a gift from God. In his letter to the Corinthians, he goes even further by characterizing not only their faith and their salvation as gifts, but every single thing that they own. What do you have, he asks, that you did not receive? The obvious answer is nothing. Because everything you have, Paul is telling them, everything you have from your faith to your wealth, to your health, to your family, to the very breath in your lungs, everything is a gift of God. And that's why Paul is constantly telling Christians to give thanks. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, he says to the Colossians, and be thankful. Do not be anxious about anything, he tells the Philippians, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
Or to put it even more bluntly, as he does in his letter to the Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Thanksgiving isn't an option for Christians, nor is it something which we are meant to do on occasion. It's an obligation. It's meant to define our very existence. But it turns out that gratitude, gratitude isn't just a religious duty. Apparently, it's also the key to human happiness. Robert Emmons is a professor of psychology at the University of California. He's also one of the nation's leading researchers in the field of what's called positive psychology. It's a, it's a field, it's a psychological study of human happiness and well-being. In fact, he's the founding editor and editor-in-chief of the Journal of Positive Psychology. All of which is to say that when it comes to, to the science of happiness, Robert Emmons knows what he's talking about. And guess what he says is the key to happiness? You guessed it. Gratitude. In one study that Emmons and his colleagues conducted, they found that those who spend time on a daily basis giving thanks for the gift and blessings of, in their life, who, who keep some kind of journal, who think about these things, that these people experience a significant increase in their level of happiness and satisfaction. They felt more joyful, he says, enthusiastic, interested, attentive, energetic, excited, determined, and strong. Not only that, Emmons and his other researchers found that an increase in gratitude results in an improvement of physical health, better sleep, more generous and charitable behavior toward others, more satisfied marriages, and an increase in the happiness of friends and family. Like I said, gratitude is not just a religious duty. It's also the key to our own personal happiness. To quote the, the great musician-turned-theologian-turned-medical-missionary, Albert Schweitzer, the greatest thing is to give thanks for everything. He who has learned this knows what it means to live. He has penetrated the whole mystery of life, giving thanks for everything. And yet, despite all of this, despite the Bible's constant exhortations to us to, to give thanks, despite the crucial role gratitude plays in our own personal happiness and well-being, despite the, the, the central place of gratitude in Christian faith and life, I think most of us would have to admit that we give thanks far less often than we should. More often than we'd probably care to admit, we live as if there is little for which we have to be grateful. Abraham Lincoln knew this. In the proclamation that he gave for a day of thanksgiving, he observed that despite our enjoyment of countless unearned blessings, he says that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. And Lincoln wasn't alone. The story of the Bible confirms that human beings, we are quick to forget the gifts we receive and quick to ignore the one who gave us those gifts. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul traces all of the idolatry and misery of human life to this very tendency. 
The reason men and women fell away from God in the first place, Paul says, is because although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. And this wasn't just a problem with some men and some women. This is a problem that has plagued all men and all women for all of human history. As the great church father, Irenaeus of Lyon, observed all the way back in the second century, all human sin can be traced back in one way or another to the same problem. We are, all of us, Irenaeus says, prone to forget that our life is defined by unearned gifts and unmerited blessings. We don't recognize them. We are prone to ingratitude. And that's why over the next 10 sessions in this study, that's why we'll be focusing on this theme of gratitude and how it defines who we are and, and how we live as followers of Jesus. More specifically, in this study, we're, we're going to be trying to answer three basic questions. First, who is the giver to whom we owe thanks? Second, what are the gifts that we have received from his hand? And third and finally, how ought we to respond in gratitude to these gifts? Who is the giver? What is the gift? And what should be our response? And to help us answer these three questions, we're going to focus on a single prayer that comes out of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer. It was originally written in the 17th century by an English bishop named Edward Reynolds. It was included in the 1662 edition of the Book of Common Prayer, and, and it's been a mainstay for Anglicans ever since. In fact, it's included at the end of both morning and evening prayer services. So it's prayed not just once, but twice every day by Anglican Christians all over the world. The title of the prayer is The General Thanksgiving. Now, I was first introduced to it about 15 years ago, and it's become one of my very favorite prayers. And let me quote it to you in full. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world through our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives, by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. It's a simple prayer, but... It's also incredibly profound. It's a summary of the Christian faith. It reminds us who God is, what he has given us, and what we owe in response. But more than that, more than just reminding or teaching us, it gives us words to live into that faith by doing what we were made to do, by giving thanks. Now, my hope for you during the course of this study it's not just that you will learn more about your faith. My hope is that you will once again 
that you will experience wonder and amazement at the gifts that define your life, that you will begin to notice, to be aware of grace and goodness that you've long forgotten or never noticed before. My hope is that Thanksgiving will become a part of your everyday routine, and not out of a sense of duty, but just, just because you can't help yourself. Years ago, I read a line from a poem, and it's always stuck with me. I tremble with gratitude. That's what the poet wrote. I tremble with gratitude. In many ways, I think it's a wonderful summary of Christian experience, or at least what should be the Christian experience. To be a Christian is to be overwhelmed by the goodness of God to the point where we tremble with gratitude. That is my hope and prayer for myself, and that's my hope and prayer for you as well.